The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. history hung on the flight of an arrow or the slash of a sword, when feudal barons ravaged the countryside to live in pomp and splendor, when one man alone dared challenge the might of his country's oppressors, Robin Hood, outlaw of Sherwood Forest and his stalwart band, robbing the rich to feed the poor, ready to fight for king, for country, or for maiden fair. Now this forest is wide. It can shelter and clothe and feed a band of good determined men, good swordsmen, good archers, good fighters. Are you with me? It's Errol Flynn as Robin Hood, Olivia de Havilland as Maid Marian, Claude Rains, Basil Rathbone, and a cast of thousands, reliving history's most colorful adventure. I suppose you realize the penalty for killing a king's deer is death. Are there no exceptions? Will you come with me? To Sherwood. I have nothing to offer you but a life of hardship and danger, but we'd be together. Because I love you, Robin, I'd come. Even a danger would mean nothing if you were with me. Let me ram those words down his throat, Your Highness. From this night on, I use every means in my power to fight you. Hi guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host Jimbo, joined by um, the, the, the scholarly and uh, heroic and kingly. Uh, it's not me. Okay, it's Kyle. Uh, I mean, uh, little Kyle. Kyle. Little Kyle. Little <laughs> Kyle. Yeah, Kyle of the Hood. What? Uh, no. <laughs> really? Yeah. So today is episode 120. We're talking about uh, the adventures of Ramana all the way back to yesteryear from 1938. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, right, um, right. But Kyle, before we get started, I have two questions for you. Two questions. Ooh, the first it. one, what are your favorite versions of Robin Hood? Ooh, what was the animated version where he was a fox? Robin Hood? Was, Disney's was, Robin was, Hood? Was it just Disney's Robin Hood? Yeah. Was that one? It probably was. That's probably my favorite just because that's the first one I saw. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's really good. That's and the I also great think movie. Robin and Prince of Thieves is pretty good, too. It's pretty excellent. And I also like Men in Tights. That's a good one too. That's a good one yeah. too. <laughs> right. Uh, Robin is just one of those movies that it doesn't matter what they what they do with it. Uh, didn't they do one with, uh, was it? Uh, Russell Crowe? Yeah. That one. I didn't watch I didn't one. see it. Yeah. But we might have to check it out. But Kyle, the second <laughs> second part of this question, and I, I can't think of the character's name, but I know who you would be. Kyle, who would you be in this movie? Oh, I, that, it, God, I, who's the man who's just like falling asleep by a tree eating a ham? <laughs> <laughs> No, I was thinking of who's the guy that was like even like during the fight scene, he would be up there and he would like hit the guys on the head with the thing, you know, he took he the hell mallet. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of his name, but that would be you to a T, man. <laughs> he was always doing it's pretty great, stupid. just a good cheat code. I guess like like, oh he did and he's like, like why isn't everyone else doing you know, this everybody else is in that big fight scene he takes that chair or table and throws it off the side and just hits both you know, people he immediately care. figured it out like, oh, yeah, um, just throw furniture at people and they but, stop fighting but what an excellent movie there is just something about the movies like uh, that was shot in like this Technicolor that 
it just it stands out, oh, yeah, and it's yeah. just beautifully done. The colors, everything about it, artistically, mm-hmm. and the fight scenes. Yeah, I like movies like this. Yeah. I like when it's shot in Technicolor. Yeah. I I will take a Technicolor movie <laughs> over this high def stuff we get today. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, even like it's like it's, they, it's like vibrant. They, they it's like alive. Like they they may get there in the future, but I feel like no film has like. Like if they're trying to replicate the Technicolor look, they never quite they get, get there. It. They really can't get there. Like oh, grand, like I mean, you look at this. You look at well, Wizard of Oz. You yeah. know, uh, what's some of those other ones we watched? Are, uh, yeah, but there's the almost Technicolor. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. just mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. It, I don't know how to describe it except I like it. There's something that adds a, a layer of like fantasticalism to them as well. Like it just feel, it feels otherworldly in a way of just like these vibrant greens that don't like make any sense in like, the real right. world, but like. Part of it just like you know, it, it transports you into a whole another world. Where like, oh, everything looks in this weird kind of, almost like vibrant pastel-y kind of color to right. it that I really appreciate. And like, even when like uh, I've seen like films and other video games try to replicate that look, and they just need they, they can't nail it. It's such a hard thing to get right. But when you see it in action, like the real way it's done, it's like it's amazing. It just kind of just draws attention away from you. And um, yeah, it's unfortunate we don't have like that kind of stuff today. I mean, right. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. a really well done movie. So Kyle, go ahead and take it away. All right, Robin Hood, released on May 12th of 1938 in New York City, New York. Um, Let's see here, a quick little summary of the film. When Prince John and Norman Lords begin oppressing the Saxon masses in King Richard's absence in 1911's England, a Saxon Saxon lord fights back as an outlaw leader of a resistance movement. So, okay, that's a quick little summary of the film right there. Um, we're going to go to the budget of the film, which was only $1.9 million in 1938. <laughs> but when you adjust that for inflation, and whew, boy, it's, a, it's a, inflation's a thing, real thing, huh? Um, it actually grows to about $40 million. For the budget? More than 20 times over inflation. Um, uh, which, wow, that's insane to me. Uh, but $40 million is um, like right kind of like at the money for what you'd expect a film like back you know, like in the 90s to like all the way back to the 1930s makes sense of like the actual kind of like the cost for a film. Nowadays, movies cost, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars to make and they have to make, you know, $500 billion to break even. Right. It's so dumb. <laughs> um, but yeah, so $40 million movie was made on like a, you know, like that's a that's a pretty big budget even yeah, for guys. You know, like that's a pretty big budget for the time actually when you come to think of it. But still like in record, like you're making this epic adventure, it makes sense. But still, that's, that's an impressive budget. Um, we got some technical. What, did it, what did it gross worldwide? Um, gross worldwide. I don't have it with me. You might have to check the notes, or I'll check online here in a little bit. Okay. But I don't have the gross earnings from the movie worldwide, but I'm sure it was successful. I mean, this is Errol Flynn, the height of his era, anyway. So great stuff there. So I'm sure this movie did well to some degree. At the very least, I'm sure it broke even. Um, moving on, some of the technical details here. We have a runtime of 102 minutes, um, which is kind of surprising. Cause like, I feel like this movie actually. The movie to me felt a little bit longer, but not in right. a bad way at all. But actually, because because it, it is such a kind of a um, a long spanning journey for these characters, I felt like invested in that too, where I felt like I had a time sink into it before the end. But actually, only 100, 102 minutes like that's not you know that's not that's not you know not not short, but it's not very long either. But I think also you know? because you're so well versed in the lore of Robin Hood that. You kind of knew, and you, but it still had to take time to develop in this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also like it's a it's a more simplified version. Of, it's not it's not the cartoon version, and it's not also like a realistic version. It's like right in the middle there of like you kind of like the uh, just like beyond reality a little bit of like a little bit more. Everyone's a little more jovial in this film mm-hmm. than reality would have, but uh, it's like right in the middle there. Uh, just like lightheartedness to it that I really appreciate. Um, sound mix, just a simple mono mix for this whole audio system situation. So a lot of music and voices are all mixed and dubbed over each other, so like that. And, you know, very you know for the times, very um, and you, you know very usual. Color info: This is a three script Technicolor film. So like a three you know three colors that mix together, create the other colors and do that stuff and make a an incredible image. Like we just kind of mentioned it right at the very beginning. Like this Technicolor really carried a lot of weight. This film. This film wouldn't feel nearly the same if it was like a black and white film or it was like a regular color film today. Mm-hmm. It, it just would not have the same feeling at all. It would kill totally the. You know, it. honestly, because I had never seen this before, I was, I thought it was going to be a black and white. Honestly, that's what I expected too. And then you watch it, and it's like, oh wow, yeah. 
I wouldn't be surprised if there's cuts of this film that, you know, for like, a, well, home release films weren't even a big were only a big thing yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were black and white prints of this film made for more wider distributions to other countries. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, have, I have to look that up later. Um, but, uh, yeah, but still, like, this movie just looked incredible. This would have been one of the first films, too, to use Technicolor, if I remember correctly, as well. So, excellent stuff there. Um, the aspect ratio is 1.37 by 1, so not a very wide aspect ratio, very square overall. Um... Or squarish feeling, anyways. Um, camera, we were of course using the Technicolor three strip camera, and uh, using the, every single like variation of those um, camera variations and how they have to use that to know how it's going. So big deal for them. Uh, film length rise. This is eleven reels raw, eleven reels long. In this case, of being such an older movie, like reels makes sense to actually use that as a numerical version, like you know having a computer or like having larger reels set up. Uh, something about that technical aspect that I, I was going to save it for my notes, but I'll throw it in here. Go for it. The production used all 11 of the Technicolor cameras in existence in 1938. Wow. And they were all returned to Technicolor at the end of each day of filming. That's incredible. So they used all oh, of 11. Yeah. So I think that's why the budget was kind of so high, too. Yeah, because I'm sure it was all of them. expense to get yeah all of those cameras ready for this film, and uh, man, that shows the amount of confidence they had in this film to be a kind of like you know, a blockbuster for the era for the time. Um, really impressive stuff. There, Do you think so. though the studios were like we're going all in on this movie? Uh, it's like a make or break, you know, with like Amazon's Lord of the Rings, you know. Oh yeah, like if it bombs, like you're just you're like, done. Yeah, you know, they're 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 putting all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I kind of got the feeling when you read stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, of all 11 in existence, you know how many other movies were being made at that time, too? You know what I mean? But they're like, nah, we're going to take them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other film productions like Colin Cut and Color Eyes. Like, Can we use your cameras? Like, no, they're all booked for Robin Hood. Like, you're kidding me right now. <laughs> all 11? We want to make our big movie. <laughs> right. But, the, you know, the filming dates were only uh, started September 26, 1937, and it ended January 14th of 1938. So it was just a quick. Four or five months shoot. Yeah, yeah, but for every other company not to have access but to them. How then. much do you think they charged every day they were filming for eleven Technicolor cameras? Yeah, enough to add up to you know. I wouldn't be surprised if that could be like almost like half the budget almost. Like that you know, has to be. Like you're paying Errol Flynn well, then you're paying the money on those cameras, and then everything else is left over for that shall make the movie. <laughs> so I bet everything else kind of suffered while those cameras and Errol Flynn were paid very handsomely. <laughs> Yeah, so that's wow, that's incredible. I I, I love that fact. Um, okay, well in that case, we'll move on to the awards where I'm sure it'll be very camera related kind of uh, rewards going on here. Um, won three Oscar awards, another three wins, and two nominations. Um, here, actually, most recently in 2017, it was added to the Online Film and Television Association's Hall of Fame. Mm. So it was added to their Hall of Fame award, so to be memorized forever in that kind of sense. In 2004, um, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films um, gave it the award for the gave it the Saturn Award for the best DVD classic film release. So apparently, the DVD was exceptional. I don't know what kind of special features they might have had or something like that. That was kind of like when you know, in 2004, early DVD stuff. So like there were, you know, I feel like nowadays Blu-rays are just like here's the movie. <laughs> Do you want anything else? You can't have it. Like, oh, okay. But, like, in the early days of DVD, it's like, oh, here's a special commentary. Here's a crazy menu. Here's outtakes. Here's deleted scenes. All this crazy stuff. And I was just like, listen, like, you're lucky we're even giving you this <laughs> physical release. Um, then we have in 2003 for the DVD exclusive rewards, it was nominated for the DVD X reward for best deleted scenes, outtakes, and bloopers. So mm-hmm. I wonder if those are on YouTube now. I might have looking up maybe I bet they're funny, Facebook. Though. I bet they're great. Um, seeing Errol Flynn mess up sounds like a, a fun time. He <laughs> <laughs> has so much confidence on the camera about <laughs> like him messing up. Like, oh, he's God, such a good, he's, he was such a good actor, man. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember the, when we did Captain Blood, man. He's just so good. Oh, yeah. It just, it, it's, he's excellent. He's excellent. He has uh, this amazing charisma about him that you believe he'd be a leader in any scenario. Um, yep. Yeah, in 1995, it was added to the National Film Reservation Board. So he won there. And then in 1990, 1939, it won the Academy Awards Oscar. So it mm. won the it won the big award. Well, what was the Oscar for? It just says Oscar. <laughs> there was only one award back then. Um, oh, Oscar for Best Picture. I'm oh, sorry. There you go, Kyle. Yeah, turn um, the page. <laughs> yeah, turn the page around. There we go. Runoff. Uh, Oscar for Best Picture. Also won the Oscar for Best Art Direction and Oscar for Best Original Music. Mm. Best original score, but yeah. original music. Best original music. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, giant bomb. Okay. Um, yeah. So going on, we have here. So we'll go on to the cast of the Adventures of Robin Hood here. Um, actually, incredibly well documented cast list for like character who had like zero names to him. So like, if you're looking up, go to IMDb yourself and look up like all the names. But um, I'm going to go through the main stars here and kind of go through them. But if you want to see like all um, four pages of like. Un- unnamed soldier number three like you find all of them and they were in other films too like, like oh that's impressive but I don't want to be here all day just reading names <laughs> so we have the um, titular Robin Hood being played by the legendary Errol Flynn Errol Flynn of course also best known for characters roles such as Captain Blood in the Captain Blood films in 1935 and the adventures of uh, Don Juan in 1948 Errol Flynn of course legendary actor um uh, Olivia D. Haviland also played Maid Marian. Um, Olivia was also in the films The Harris in 1949 and Gone with the Wind with in the wind. 1939. Absolute classic. We've covered that yet? Yeah, we did. Oh, we you did. Were, you, weren't, you weren't that on board before, yet. That was before I was on board. Yeah. Next up, we have um, Basil Rathbone playing Sir Guy of, Gis- of Gisborne. He's really good, too. Sir Guy of Gisborne. I'm trying to make sure I get that pronunciation somewhat appropriately right yeah, he doesn't care um, about the actor's name as long as he gets the, the character's name right <laughs> I, I care about both and I'm going to fail both <laughs> Basil was also in the films of Sherlock Holmes Faces Death in 1943 and The Spider Woman I believe in the 1930s I forget right now the date there and I also believe that he was in uh, Son of Frankenstein that uh, me and my dad covered I do oh, believe awesome, one of the um, Universal Monster Classics right yeah, there he was in one of them I think it was yeah. the Son of Frankenstein next up we have Claude Rains playing Prince John Claude Rains was also in the films Casablanca in 1942 and The Invisible Man in 1933. One of my favorites. Claude that... Rains, legendary actor, is on right. I might have more esteem for him than I even have for Errol Flynn, actually, because I just because I've seen a lot more Claude Rains movies than I've seen uh, Errol Flynn movies. Next up, we have Patrick Knowles playing Patrick Knowles playing Will Scarlet. Oh, I thought you said Patrick Knowles playing Patrick Knowles. I was like, well, that's <laughs> odd. That's me. Patrick <laughs> Knowles playing himself in Robin Hood. Like, that's but you cool. know, as you're going to this cast list and, and you look at like let's say Robin Hood. Of Thieves, and you can see, like, uh, you know, you're saying Guy Gisborne, you're saying Will Scarlet, you know, which was, who was played by Christian Slater and Robin and Prince of Thieves. So, so I guess I never really thought that Robin and Prince of Thieves was as paid much attention to detail as mm-hmm. you know one of these first movies. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Too. Yeah, it's impressive stuff. It really is like a, you know, like a, yeah, a lot of Robin movies have been made with like a lot of esteem and a lot of attention to detail that I really appreciate. And this film really set like. Set the standard of comparison, I guess. Like all other Robin Hood movies are going to be compared to this Robin Hood movie mm-hmm. um, for all time. Um, and nearly, wow, like I'll live to see the movie be 100 years old someday. That's insane to me. It's um, only a couple of years away there, bud. I know. It's only it's at 16 years now. Um, well, in May, so yeah, probably 15 and a half, really. Yeah. Okay, so that was Patrick Knowles playing Will Scarlet. Patrick Knowles was also in the movie The Wolfman in 1941. Another Xenoverse Universal movie as well, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Eugene Pillitz playing Friar Tuck. Um, Eugene was also in the film My Man Godfrey in 1936. Next up, we have Alan Hale playing the character Little John. Alan Hale was also in the films Virginia City in 1940 and Dodge City in 1939. I always wonder what would be the next city for 1941, do you think? <laughs> it was Wisconsin. Sin City. Sin no, City, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> He went to Dodger Stadium. I'm like, what? <laughs> Change genres. Um, next up, we have Melville Cooper playing the High Sheriff of Nottingham. Melville Cooper was also in the film Rebecca in 1940. 1940. Excellent. Next up, we have um, oh, Una O'Connor playing the role of Bess. Una was also in the film Witness of the oh, Witness for the Prosecution in 1957. You know what? I. I she has been in several of the Universal Monsters too. Una I think. O'Connor. I think it was uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. I wouldn't be right. Una uh, O'Connor. It does sound like a distinctive name that I should know. You're right. I first you wrote that down. I think. Yeah. She was in The Invisible Man. Oh, awesome. She was in Bride of Frankenstein. So it was Bride of Frankenstein. I was wrong. Uh, she was in another Earl Flynn movie called Seahawk. Um, she's been in Bing Crosby and uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman's uh, The Bells of St. Mary. Man, she's got a lot of... Ca- uh, I've seen her in a lot of movies. Uh, she's going to be in Christmas in Connecticut that we're getting ready to cover for our, our Christmas episode this year. Yeah. The Seahawk in 1940. Also with Meryl Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so wow. she has a lot of credits. Uh, a lot of credits. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I feel... <laughs> 
Yeah, a lot of these actors also appeared just like, you know, because, you know, this is like the era of, you know, working for a specific company, so you just go from movie to movie to movie to movie, and, uh, you know, so, like, it's no surprise that she's like, oh, yeah, she's been in a ton of movies, and all in the same year, just like, you know, nonstop, like, she kept working, which is great, you know. Um, next up, we have Herbert Munden playing the character of Much. Um, Herbert was also in the film David Copperfield in 1935, or was he on, could have been a show or something like that, David Copperfield show, I don't know. Because it just says David Caulfield, 1935. I don't know if it was a movie or a TV show. I'm going to look that up. It was a TV show. TV show? Um, Sorry, movie. Movie. Okay, movie was David Caulfield. Okay, I've not seen it. Um, Then we have Montague Love playing the Bishop of Black Cannons. The Montague was also in the film um, Gunga Din in 1939. Then we have Leonard Willie playing Sir Essex. Leonard Willie was also in the films The Prince and the Popper in 1937. Next up, we have Robert Noble playing Sir Ralph. Robert Noble is also in the film The Witness Vanishes in 1939. Next up, we have Kenneth Hunter playing Sir Mortimer. Kenneth Hunter was also in the film Ambition in 1916. More than 100 years old, that movie. 1916. It had to be a silent movie, right? Oh, surely, surely it had to be. Next up, we have Robert, Robert Warwick playing Sir Goffrey. Robert Warwick was also in the film In the Lonely Place in 1951. 1950, I'm sorry, 1950, in a lonely place. Yeah. Next up, we have Colin Kinney playing Sir Baldwin. Colin Kinney was also in the film Tarzan of the Apes in 1918, another 100-year-old film. Um, surely, I'm, I'm assuming a silent film. Um, next up, we have Lister, Lester Matthews um, playing the role of Sir Ivor. Lester Matthews is also in the film A Werewolf in London in 1935. Next up, we have Harry Corning playing Dickon um, Melbet. Um, Harry Corning was also in the film Narcotic in 1933. Then lastly, we have Ivan F. Simpson playing the proprietor of Kentwood Tavern. <laughs> Ivan F. Simpson was also in the film Made of Salem in 1937. And that is the cast of The Adventures of Robin Hood. Jimbo, take it from me a little bit. <laughs> are, you, are you done? I've used words too many. All right, so we'll go ahead and jump in. There's a lot more information for this than uh, the previous movie that before we did. Grumpy Old Man. Grumpy Old Man was a real fast one. But, but it's there's, a good not, movie. there's not a lot. There's, it's just more than what we had. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. So. Um, this is actually uh, was originally planned with uh, James Cagney playing the title role, but he quit Warner Brothers and production was postponed for three years. So this three was actually going to be years. a 1935 movie? 35, yeah. Or wow. at least, yeah, maybe even 34. Just character. Yeah. I think they scored with Harold Flynn, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they really... Yeah. You know. uh, Howard Hill, Hill, who was listed in the credits as Captain of Archers, also played Elwin the Welshman in the archery contest. Hill actually made the shot... Where we see one arrow split another, and he did all the shots which required hitting human targets. He also worked closely with the sound department to produce distinctive arrow sounds by using specially made arrows. So he actually did the splitting of the arrow. Splitting of the arrow shot. I think they did an episode of Mythbusters like that, too. And you have to like find the perfect grain of the wood and all that kind of stuff, too, to get it perfectly straight up. But I'm sure they probably would have done a... Um like a split on the wood, so it would split perfectly like that. But still, yes. Tune in to Kyle target. on TikTok as he tries to split an arrow. We'll see how many times it takes him to, to, oh, to you <laughs> look up the MythBusters episode on YouTube. No, no, no I'd rather see Kyle do it. <laughs> uh, I don't know how long it would take you to do it. How long do you think it would take you just to get good enough at archery to, to split, split an arrow, arrow with another? No, arrow? I mean, like if you started right now, we went out to the backyard, got a bow and arrow, unlimited arrows. How long do you think it would take you before you could split an I arrow? I would die old age. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the sound of Robin's arrows, or uh, uh, Robin's arrow, is the, the favorite sound of Skywalker sounds. Ben Burt, he used that sound in almost all the Star Wars films. So, still paying homage all these years later. And that reminds me, Joe. I totally skipped the director and writers and like that too. Yes, you did. Right. That's why I did. You you just been going all over the place these I, last I, two. I, I, I'm 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 out of my loop in these last two episodes. I don't know why. Um, next up, okay, directors. Real quick, director was Michael Curtis and William Keeley. Um, writers were Norman Rayleigh Rain for the original screenplay based upon the ancient Robin Hood legends, and um, Seton I. Miller. For the original screenplay based on the original Robin Hood Legends. Next up for the composer, we have Eric Wolfgang Korngold. 
For the cinematographers, we have Tony Gaudio and Sol Polito. And the editor was Ralph Dawson. There we go. Okay. Uh, are you done? Do I you am, have everything now? We'll, we'll cut it all together, right, Brett? No, no. I'm leaving oh, it so oh, that everybody can see how, how terrible you how are. How terrible this. I am. I'm so bad at podcasts. Uh, the role of Will Scarlet was originally intended for David Neven, but he was vacationing in England at the time, so the part went to Patrick Knowles. How would you like that? Oh, I'm on vacation. Uh, by the way, you missed out on this. It's fine. We replaced you. are like, what? But, I mean, it's not like they could just... You know, send the next message. Yeah. They had to wait for the pigeon to arrive. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, Eric Wolfgang uh, Korngold uh, used much of a classic piece he had written in 1919 for his score. Wow. It's just amazing. You know, you, you hear some of the stuff that how what these people went through, and you know, just back in 1990, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, you're in between world wars, and you're like, oh, I'm going to compose music. <laughs> Uh, the stump players wore heavy padding underneath a steel breastplate overlaid with some balsa wood to absorb the impact of the arrows. So they're actually getting... Actually hit with arrows. Kyle, let's nice. go out to the backyard. We'll put a, some plywood on you. And we'll see yeah, yeah, no problem. We can possibly go wrong. Yeah. I'm sure plywood of the 1930s is just like plywood of now. Sure. <laughs> but I didn't say plywood. It was... Balsa wood. Oh, balsa wood. Okay, actually. Okay. At the time, this film held the distinction of employing the largest number of stuntmen on any one production. That makes perfect sense for this movie. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stunts going, especially on. when they're like jumping out of the trees. And oh yeah, a lot of that stuff, like dangerous activities. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I would be surprised uh, you if you know, look. You know, um, I didn't. I don't know if I found anything on it. It might be in the notes, but I don't think so. About were any horses? Uh, yeah, I was just about to go there. And make that <laughs> How yeah. many animals did they kill for this film? Because that <laughs> one movie. What was that movie we did with all the horses? It wasn't Lawrence. Uh, yeah, it was. It wasn't Lawrence. Yeah, I remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, they killed like a hundred horses. Like, yeah. oh my god. <laughs> Uh, Olivia de Havilland has only one scene in which she is not wearing a headpiece. Uh, despite his flamboyant performance as Robin Hood, Earl Flynn privately professed that he found the role a boring one. A boring one. So he wasn't really a merry man. He was a boring man. Uh, although shot in California, indigenous English plants were added and the grass was painted to give a greener, more English look. Wow. And I also heard, I uh, was reading somewhere that... Uh, uh, fall had started to set in, so they had to spray paint a lot of the different rocks and stuff, you know what I mean, just to make sure. Everything looked consistent at the very least. I think they had the same problem in Dirty Dancing, if I remember. Uh, yes. Uh, well, filming... The first Halloween movie had, like, bags of leaves and like that, too. Like, okay, sure. Random stuff. Film production's hard. People. <laughs> <laughs> While filming Robin Hood's Escape from the Castle, Basil Rathbone was knocked down and trampled by extras, causing a spear wound in his right foot that required eight stitches to close. Ooh, boy. Jeez, no fun. No fun at all. I guess they didn't really care. But you're doing all your own stuff. <laughs> the cut, we got cut. no one else for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can we just talk a second for that, that that sword fight scene at the end? How awesome was so it? So good. Especially when, so you know, they, they basically go off camera and you see their shadow sword fighting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that, that is... It's, it's just good. It's just awesome. It's something about you know the, the, the limitations of older filmmaking. It's like this is the only thing you have to show off, so it has to be great. Now you have this excellent sword fight. Where nowadays you can just rely on special effects for something. It kind of reminds me of they spoofed it in um, was the Heart Shots Part Two where they're fighting. Remember in the shadows are fighting while they're sitting there drinking tea. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Shadows doing the fight. Yeah, they're just sitting there like, oh, yeah, good thanks. Um, <laughs> the Sir Joseph Hooker Oak called the Gallows Oak in the film where Robin Hood forms his outlaw band, was supposedly the largest living oak tree in the world at the time of filming in 1937. The rock that Earl Flynn stands on in front of the tree is a prop. The oak was felled by lightning in 1979, and only then was it discovered that it was actually two oak trees, estimated to be 125 years old, that had fused together over time. So, specifically, the oldest oak tree? Is that what they're... Okay. There have been trees that we've done, like, oh, yeah, this tree's been living for, like, a million years, which is just insanity to me. So, incredible stuff there. Oldest oak trees. I wonder what what holds the current record now. I'll look it up. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm sure it's some probably redwood tree out there. You know what I mean? Well, specifically oak. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. Really, of all things to look up, yes, I, I, I want to know what is the oldest living oak tree. <laughs> uh, the swords used in this film were made of duralumin, uh, invented in 1908 by Alfred Wilm, which is very interesting. Uh, here you go. Are you ready? During one fight sequence, Earl Flynn was jabbed by an actor who was using an unprotected sword. He asked, asked him why he didn't have a guard on the point. The other player apologized and explained that director Michael Curtis had instructed him to remove the safety feature in order to make the action more exciting. 
Flynn gosh. reportedly climbed up the gantry where Kurtz was standing next to the camera, took him by the throat, and asked him if he found that exciting enough. <laughs> that that is an appropriate response, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Kyle, did, did you find work? how old your yes, oldest? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. The the Pajinga Great Oak, a coastal live oak located near the reserve near um, Timacula, California, is said to be the world's oldest living oak and could be well around for at least two thousand years. Yeah, the um, the Pinjaga Great Oak is so large it looks like a mini forest all by itself. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I'll share an image with the Facebook group. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, two oh, C. Wow! Jim, wow. Look, at, look at that tree. Look at that tree. That tree's cool. It looks like tree beard on steroids. That tree's super cool. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I'm I'm gonna share that photo when the when the episode goes live. It'll be great. Okay. Uh, two scenes: a jousting tournament and a christening were cut from the script to save money and were never filmed. I can only imagine a jousting scene. That probably would have killed some horses. I'm shocked if it didn't. Uh, The preview audience reaction was so positive that the film was released without any alterations to the plot, which is amazing. At the time, Olivia de Havilland wrote the Palomino. Are you ready for this? This is going to rock your world. Rock my world. It registered its name was Golden Cloud and was owned by Hudkins Stables, an outfit that leased horses and Western equipment for films. Roy Rogers... Bought Golden Cloud for $2,500. Character actor Smiley Burnett, who was Roger's sidekick in early movies, suggested the name of Trigger. <laughs> As the horse was quick on the trigger, Rogers rode Trigger in his first Western, uh, starring Western under Western stars. So that is Trigger that Olivia de Havilland is riding in this movie. Wow. Small world moments. Ain't That's that crazy? Incredible. That's incredible. I know. I was like, oh my goodness, this That's is so ridiculous. Cool. <laughs> Uh, Earl Flynn was not happy when Michael Kurtz's was assigned to the film as he didn't care for Kurtz's directorial methods and the two clashed often while filming. Uh, the change of the light brigade, especially over what he and avid horsemen saw as Kurtz's indifference to the injuries and deaths of many of the horses used in the film. Hmm. Yes. So, so, yeah. Sounds like Michael Kurtz was a bad person overall. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, originally budgeted at $1.6 million, the budget ballooned to $2 million the most expensive Warner Brothers film up to that time. However, it turned out to be the studio's biggest moneymaker of 1939, making back far in excess of its cost. So, uh, The studio files and records for this film are archived at the USC Cinema Television Library. Interoffice memos clearly indicate that Olivia de Havilland was not the first choice for the role of Marion. The original actress, whose name is blacked out in each of documents, became pregnant out of wedlock and could no longer accept the role. Oh, yeah. Sad. Uh, this is the third of eight films that featured Earl Flynn and Olivia de Havilland together. They were just so good together, too. You know what I mean? Oh, I yeah, think great on string I think um, when we were talking about duos last week, I think you might have to put these two together up there, too. Yeah, it's so Captain Blood yeah, was really good, too. Yeah. It, 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 it's mainly just my separation. Like, I haven't seen that many Earl Flynn movies, so I can't say for sure. But, like, I, I bet you're right. I bet you're right. Maybe we'll have to do some more. Uh, James Cagney was the studio's original choice for Robin. However, when Cagney walked off the set, the film's producer, Hal B. Wallace, made the decision to cast Earl Flynn against the studio's wishes. It was also um, Wallace's decision to keep Maid Marian when the original scriptwriter wanted to dump her character. Wallace felt Marian was an indispensable fixture of a Robin Hood adventure. I, I think he was right to make that call. Made Marion is an important character. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that. Uh, for the film's initial release in May 1938, an unusual elaborate eight-minute full-color trailer was produced, which unfortunately does not survive in the Warner Vault. Only the reissue trailer of 1948 is available. Can you imagine watching an eight-minute trailer? That's like watching the movie. Yeah, pretty much at that point. It's like, I, I complain about that. A lot of trailers right now, like three minutes, are like, well, I just saw the whole movie in that trailer, so yeah. I see no point of seeing it. Um, all of the bows and arrows used in this film were handmade by expert Fletcher and Archer James Duff of Jersey City, New Jersey. Duff was an immigrant from Scotland and author of a book of poetry, Bows and Arrows. How many bows and arrows did he make? He oh. made all of them by himself. I guess it's at least 100, probably. Oh, it's got to be more than that. I'm thinking they I'm, probably fired how many in the archery contest by themselves? Well, for the I'm saying, but simply about the bows, the arrows themselves. Like, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know the process of actually making all the arrows themselves. Like, if their arrows would be thousands, I'm sure. Um, but the bows, probably hundreds. I wouldn't be surprised if had to make for the prop. Like, you know, and like, oh boy, that's a that's a huge amount of labor right there. Yeah. I'm sure he just spent all day, all night just making those nonstop. And, Unless he had some already built up that they use, you know what I mean? Where he, cause yeah, he was yeah. a. Yeah, like you had a shop and you right. just had like a stack of like, here are the default bows and arrows I just give the movies. Kyle, your 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 job is to read the book of poetry of bows and arrows. 
According to TCM host Robert Osborne, the film was so successful that a sequel was commissioned. However, the U.S. government wanted to restrict the amount of money invested in filmmaking at that point in anticipation of joining World War II, so it was delayed. By 1945, when the war was over, the project was scrapped because Olivia de Havilland and Claude Rains were no longer employed at Warner Brothers. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Robert Dunat was offered the role of Robin Hood, but turned it down due to illness. Uh, the movie was filmed in Bidwell Park, Chico, California, uh, um, uh, a municipal park. It's the third largest in California and one of the 25 largest in the U.S. Alan Hale appears as Little John in this film and also played the role in Robin Hood with Douglas Fairbanks. He reprised the role again in Rogues of Sherwood Forest 28 years after his performance in the Fairbanks film. 28 years coming back to the same role. That's incredible. Orson Welles was offered the role of Friar Tuck and King Richard, but he turned them both down. I would have loved to see him as Friar Tuck. That would have been awesome. great. That would be hilarious. Um, one of the areas of conflict or dislike between Earl Flynn and director Michael Kurtz during this movie may have been because Flynn was married to Kurtz's former wife, Lilia Demita. Oh, so yeah. So that might have been a little bit really, of the yeah. tension. I can imagine a little bit of antagonism there. <laughs> uh, here we go. Swordmaster Fred Cavins, who staged the duels in Captain Blood, was assigned to make the fight scenes exciting. Cavins uh, believed the duels should be magnified and exaggerated for effect. His approach was to create a routine that was choreographed like a dance with counts and phrases. Basil Rathbone was already an impressive fencer, so Earl Flynn trained with Cavins, though many sources say Flynn was less than dedicated to the task and relied more on his innate athletic ability. In this area, liberties were also taken with history. Although broadswords uh, that would have been typical for the era were used, but designed as lighter and more uh, manageable replicas, the fight scenes incorporated fencing techniques that would not be developed until decades later. Medieval swordplay involved a lot more hacking than finessed lunges and parries. Yeah, I'm not watching the movie for its realism. I think the fencing looks great, and like it's just it's such a cool thing just to watch happening in those films. I love it to death. Really it's the same way with like a, a pirate movie. Oh, you're yeah, watching yeah. for the swashbuckling. You don't care what what exactly. techniques being yes. used. Real life pirates were terrible swordsmen. That's the whole point of their swords. <laughs> <laughs> the point of their swords. Yes, bum, yes, bum, yes, bum. yes. Uh, The archery tournament was shot and at the now gone Bush Gardens in Pasadena, California, which was later used for. Wilkes Plantation Exteriors and Gone with the Wind, among many other films. Howard Hill used a special bow and a thicker arrow to make the distinctive sound of the flying arrows that was recorded from various perspectives and added to the soundtrack. Uh, the production also ran a month behind schedule. Uh, Eric Wolfgang Korngold was excited about the prospects of working on the film and had even worked out possible themes and passages in his head as he made the crossing from Austria to Hollywood. However, when he saw the completed film, he got cold feet, pleading with producer Hal B. Wallace to release him from his contract on the grounds that I am a musician of heart, of passions, of psychology. I am not a musical illustrator for a 90% action movie star picture. <laughs> and Wallace refused. I think he did it. The music was outstanding. It was the right call to make. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't imagine going any better. Yeah. Especially, like, they won the Oscar for the, uh, the best you know, musical original score, so it worked out very well for him, I'm sure. Uh, Jack L. Warner considered Anita Louise for the part of Marion. What an interesting little take there. I could have seen that happening, for sure. You know. Do you even know who Anita Louise was? Yeah. She was, uh, what was she else was in? She was in... Oh, oh he's got to Google it because you just knew right off the top of your head. I, I know it. Uh, uh, Donald, Chris, Donald Chris turned down the part of the Bishop of the Black Cannons. Yeah, Lord. Uh, the sequel title was going to be Sir Robin of Locksley, but it was announced, but it was never developed. The film takes place in nineteen or sorry, 1191. It's, of course, on Roger Deepert's great movies list, also in the 1001 movies you must see before you die. So when you do these movies that are that old and that iconic, of course they're going to be on there. Mm-hmm. In his biography, In and Out of Character, Basil Rathbone confesses that Earl Flynn was lazy on the set and much too confident about himself. He also says that he and Flynn were good companions but not friends. The relationship was cool and much enjoyable. Flynn was very fond of Rathbone. Hmm. Yeah, this movie seems like entirely built on, on um, Errol Flynn's kind of like natural ability of charisma of like putting it on screen. So you can always just do that on the spot. So like, I'm not surprised he's kind of lazy because it's like, I can just hold this movie on my shoulders, no problems. I don't <laughs> care about anything else going on. And I think uh, he was right. <laughs> yeah. This is the second time Errol Flynn and Rathbone crossed swords, literally. The first being in the movie Captain Blood, which we covered. And it was 
That was the first time I watched that too, and it's an outstanding movie oh, too. Yeah, yeah, that that that, that stopped us dead in our tracks. Like, yeah. wait a minute, these movies are great. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle was like, "Wow, I didn't know something that old could be that cool." Exactly, kind of like right. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when composer Eric Wolfgang Kongold won the Academy Award for Best Original Score for the film, it was the first time that the award was given to the composer. Previously, the award was given to the head of the studio's music department rather than the composer. Oh, so another little excellent change of pace. This there. thing is just deserve the awards, tearing down the awards too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince John would have been about 20 years old at the time the story is set. Claude Rains, who plays him, was 49 at the time. Uh, and Claude Rains, you know, watching Claude Rains, I didn't even realize it didn't even really look like Claude Rains. You know what I mean? Because he was playing that little whiny Prince John. You know, it wasn't until I got the cast list. I'm like, oh, it's yeah. Claude Rains. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, it is the Invisible Man. Yeah. So he did a really good job too. Uh, names of the second unit directors only appear on the clapper in unused outtakes, which are featured on the DVD release of the film, so they don't even get credit. I did find them, too, on YouTube, so I'll try oh, to share you? that in the Facebook group nice. when we release this podcast. Uh, the centerpiece of the film was a full-scale, historical, accurate replica of Nottingham Castle as it appeared in the 1100s. The set cost nearly a third of the movie's $2 million budgeted uh, uh, that remained until replica of the Roman Forum and the fall of the Roman Empire in 1964 as the largest, most expensive, and detailed movie set ever built. Oh, wow. So that's where the budget shot up. Yeah, yeah. So almost like, gosh, that's more than $700,000. <laughs> yeah. um, this film has a 100% rating based on 48 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's 100%. If you give anything, care what Rotten Tomatoes says, I really don't pay attention to them much. I do. I know you do because you're millennial. Uh, the two chief villains of the Adventures of Robin Hood, Basil Rathbone and Claude Rains, served in the same regiment during World War One, the London Scottish Regiment. Rathbone was awarded the Military Cross for conspicu- uh, conspicuous daring and resource on patrol. Rains lost 90% of the vision in his right eye as a result of a gas attack. Oh, my gosh. That I didn't is... know that either. Jeez. It's uh, horrible. <laughs> Jordan Mechner uh, rotoscoped uh, the final battle between Earl Flynn and Basil Rathbone when designing the sword fighting sp- uh, sprites in Prince of Persia. Olivia de Havilland, Maid Marian, passed away on July 26, 2020, having outlived her co-star Earl Flynn by over 60 years, mm-hmm. who died in 1959. There's a whole very long video explaining the actual Prince of Persia game and how they actually yeah did all that rotoscoping with those animations and stuff like that. But like originally, the whole game was designed to have no enemies at all, and it was like, no, you need combat in the game. And so he watched that whole film and just like dedicated the whole thing to it. It's an incredible video. I think it's on Ars Technica. If I, but right. but I think uh, I think they're talking about the movie Prince of Persia. Oh, I was talking about the game Prince of Persia, where he used that kind of rotoscoping stuff. Yeah, he used like shadow forms to get it done. Okay, whatever. Video game knowledge and the movie itself. All right, fine. <laughs> Both. There you go. Uh, let's see. Now you made me lose my place. Thanks a lot, Kyle. You're welcome, Jimbo. I'm so happy for oh, you. Here you go. In his autobiography, Earl Flynn complained of having to film some scenes over because his male contours could be seen in his tights. <laughs> shall, shall we just move on? There, there was uh, there was some talk and bustle of a similar topic about Namor in the most recent Black yeah. Panther Wakanda Forever movie. Um, of course, they digitally um, altered those to, <laughs> to not draw so much attention to his oh, male man. contours. <laughs> before, let's just move on. Uh, before he began to compose the score, Eric Wolfgang Korngold was living in Austria and conducting one of his operas. In March 1938, Austria was invaded and annexed by Nazi Germany, and Korgold's home in Vienna was confiscated. Since the situation of all Jews in Austria was now endangered, Korngold moved to the United States, where he lived until the end of World War II. He later stated that the opportunity to score The Adventures of Robin Hood saved his life. Mm-hmm. Olivier de Havilland and Earl Flynn both publicly admitted being in love with each other as they worked together, but they both also strenuously denied ever having an affair as Flynn was married. Hmm. What say you, Kyle? I say they love each other. <laughs> no, uh, but you can tell, man. Their their on on screen chemistry is just really good. Yeah, it's magnetic. It's just yeah, it's chemistry. Right. Yeah, heavily padded stunt players and actors were paid one hundred and fifty dollars per arrow for being shot by professional archer Howard Hill, who also played the captain of archers whom Robin Hood defeats in the turn by splitting his own arrow. Jeez, one hundred fifty dollars per arrow. Yeah, but one hundred fifty dollars. 
Yeah, it would have been like three times as much, or 20 times as much now, so they'd be right. enough. Yeah, so, wow. Uh, the theatrical trailer contains footage of Robin and Mary kissing on horseback. The footage is from deleted final scene of the film immediately following the closing of the great doors where the film now ends. Uh, one of the original story concepts had Robin Hood dying at the end of this film. Ooh, that would have been a real sad ending. <laughs> this is not my Robin Hood. Hashtag not my Robin Hood. Robin Hood doesn't die. Uh... Maid Marion is never referred to by that name in this film. She is referred to as Lady Marion Fitzwalter twice. Once in the banquet scene and the second time by Sir Guy, who just before she hands the golden arrow to Robin Hood. Uh, Robin Hood kills 16 people over the course of the film, including 10 in the first battle alone. Oh, wow. It's half his kills done. Brutal. Uh, close to the end of the movie, after Sir Guy's dead body dropped into the dungeon, Robin runs halfway down the stairs and starts to fight the guards, and his friends come back to up uh, to... And he jumps down to the ground close to Sir Guy's dead body. If you look closely, you can see Sir Guy flinch after Robin Hood lands. And, you know, pops, pops, props to uh, Baz Rothbone. When he took that dive off those steps. Like, he really took that like, dive. Like, he took that dive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it looked he, like it hurt. He did the thing. <laughs> yeah. So, Kyle, that's all the notes I have. Yeah. Tell me about your uh, adventures of Kyle. Adventures of Kyle watching the adventures of Robin Hood. <laughs> yes. Um, I feel the same way about this one that I felt about Captain Blood that it kind of like blew me away in a way that like, oh, snap, this movie is really solid. Um, really holds up incredibly well. It's very entertaining and doesn't really go too far out there. Um, man, um, I feel like I agree if you um, hold hardly too about the tentacle um, opinion we shared, where it's like the film just has a vibrancy and a life into it that can't be replicated today right now, and just mm-hmm. like adds this sense of fantasy that is so lighthearted and you know calming. It's wholesome. It's like a warm blanket at the end of the day. And I don't know if that's some kind of weird like collective nostalgia or what, but it's just incredible to watch and kind of feel that kind of that that energy a Technicolor uh, movie has. Um, so that's really cool too, and I do agree with um, the assumption uh, of the, the thousand and one movies you see before you die. This is definitely deserves to be up there, and uh, really deserves to be remembered, and uh, really holds up very very well. So um, I recommend anyone watch it. Only hundred only one hundred two minutes. Not a long movie. It's something you kind of just like you clock in, you get it done, and you get you get back out, and it's like oh yeah, I, I have a I've had a I have a richer somewhat richer life now for having seen it. So I think it's absolutely worth watching. Um, Jimbo, how did you feel about just Robin? It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, Basil Rathbone, Claude Rains. I mean, this, this Earl Flynn. You could just go on and on about this cast. I think um, when we sit down to do this podcast, and and one of us throws a movie out here, something like this that is older, you kind of get worried, like, oh, this is going to be terrible. I'm not going to enjoy this. This is so old. It's outdated. And yeah. I'm not going to enjoy it. You know, and I'm, I'm going to watch the same six people in black and white right. talking for an hour, and, and I'm going to be bored and to we, tears. And we have covered yeah. movies where you go into thinking this is going to be terrible, and you surprise, it's actually a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, not that this one's black and white, but I'm just saying, I think a lot of people, when they start seeing oh, this is a black and white film, it's not going to be any good. You know what I mean? Hmm. I think you're doing yourself a disservice because a lot of these older movies um, are fantastic. Well done, hmm. scripted, action, love stories. And I think this one encompasses all that. Um, and, and and I think it gives you an appreciation of the actors and actresses from yesteryear. I think you can see a lot of uh, the influences that this movie had on Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, certainly. Yeah. Uh, again, with the Technicolor, where they just said, no, we're going to take all 11. They didn't say, we're just going to take nine Technicolor things. We're going to take all 11 of your Technicolor uh, cameras, cameras yeah. and so be it. Yeah. Um, they went into detail to building a whole entire replica of Nottingham. A castle. Yeah, incredible stuff. An entire replica. Entire Inside, replica. outside, that means... That when they were filming in there, that was an entire replica of a castle. Yeah, not, just the, a, not just a, not just not just one scene in a set. It yeah. was in the entire yeah, castle. The entire castle. Yeah, yeah. you're um, driving down the road, and also you look to your right, and there's there's a castle. <laughs> the action scenes in this, the the you know the the whole where um, expertly choreographed, where Robin there. Hood's about to be hanged. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. Um, how Olivia de Havilland gets uh, caught for conspiracy. They were you know they were going to kill her. Um, it just, man, it's just such a good movie, and it and it actually 
by watching this movie, now I understand Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves more. I, I understand the Disney's Robin Hood more. I understand all these because all those characters came basically back from this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really well done. Um, and I would I definitely recommend everybody to watch it. Um, Jimbo, do you think this is your favorite Robin Hood movie now? Whew, man, you know that... You know, it's going to be up there. I mm-hmm. would... I have yeah. a greater appreciation for it, you know. What I mean, and Earl Flynn. Um, I loved him in Captain Blood, and I don't know why it took so long to watch this movie while for us to cover it. But I, you know, it's the only thing that I I, I didn't like uh, about this movie is I think that they could have went and played the whole Maid Marian Robin Hood relationship a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was like she was with Prince John. Then you remember they go to the forest, and then he's like, you know, yeah, it's it like, really, you love it, me. It doesn't really like, progress besides like they right. seem to be attracted to each other, but nothing happens. But, but it was kind of yeah. weird because it was kind of like a love at first sight kind of boom. We're in love now, and uh, I mean, I'm not going to pick that to death because I think it made up for it in other areas of the movie. But I mean, I still think it's a great movie, and I still think everybody should watch it. And it's. Probably it's probably my top three Robin Hood movies for sure. It's probably oh. this Disney's Robin Hood and Prince of Thieves. Probably I think you can intertwine all those and still yeah. get the same outcome. Mm-hmm. So Prince of Thieves is great. Mm-hmm. Well, with that being said, um, if you want to follow us on the social medias, we are the Tragedy Cinema Podcast on Facebook. Um, if you'd like to email us, we are the Tragedy Cinema po- uh, just the Tragedy Cinema at Gmail If you'd like to leave us a review, um, we will read it on the air. Um, good, bad, rotten. Uh, we we, we yeah. take all. We we'll take it all. Person. We take it all. So, um, Kyle, any last thoughts? My last thought is that um, Robin Hood should always be green, and that um, uh, he doesn't always need a bow and arrow necessarily, but he doesn't need a sword. I think bow and arrow is kind of like overplayed, personally. Yeah, you never. Really, He's not an elf. He doesn't need a. But you never really understood, you know, why you think Robin Hood, you think a bow and arrow. You don't yeah. really think of sword, but he was a really good swordsman. He's really good swordsman. I think it's more sad as a swordsman than as a bow and arrow guy. You know, I know he split that arrow though. He just, did just split saying. the arrow. You're right. You know, he is known as the greatest archer of all time. That's the whole thing. Right. Yeah. But well, still, I don't yeah, know. Leg- Legolas has probably got something to say in that. But exactly. Yeah. Well, with that being yeah. said, I think this episode's coming to close. But before we go, uh, stay tuned because next week we are bringing a heavy hitter. That's uh, right. Uh, from 1992, an all-star studded cast, a few good men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be on the lookout for that here shortly. So with that Tom being Cruise. said, that's I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. <laughs> <laughs>